You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 211 of American Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Sunny Megatron, clinical sexologist, BDSM educator, and host of Showtime Sex with Sunny Megatron. And this episode is Kink Education Freestyle Reddit Edition, where I respond to posts, questions, and inquiries for advice about kink from Reddit. Included in today's episode, am I a bad sub for not liking pain or degradation? What is a praise kink? I'm addicted to humiliation and I'm ashamed. Is there such thing as an exploration session when you're new to BDSM? And what's the best way to find hands-on BDSM instruction? How can I safely do choke play to the point of passing out? And advice about a new partner. Is this how TPE works or is it a red flag? Since I'm this week's guest, if you're new to American Sex Podcast or new to me, I'll introduce myself really quick. So hi, I'm Sunny Megatron, certified clinical sexologist, certified sexuality educator with a focus on BDSM education, specifically those soft skills, and also a certified relationship coach. I'm the co-creator, executive producer, and host of the Showtime original series, Sex with Sunny Megatron. And did you know that I host a podcast too? I know, surprise. Actually, though, two. This one, American Sex Podcast, it's been around since 2017. And one, the ASECT Podcast Awards. That's the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And I also co-host Open Deeply Podcast, along with sex-positive, licensed marriage and family therapist, Kate Larie. And I've won stuff too, like Expig Sexpert of the Year and a few other things. I'm also working on a book about BDSM, Customizable Kink, a Strategic Guide to Adult Play that is taking way longer than expected, but it's coming Personally, I'm queer, consensually non-monogamous, married, a BDSM practitioner, biracial, the parent of two adult kids, and in kink, I identified exclusively as a submissive for a few years, but now I consider myself mainly a dominant, specifically a psychological sadist. Now, before we get to the meat of the episode, let's wash the balls. That is housekeeping here on American Sex. In other words, this is when I briefly tell you about the other need to know things. And before you head fast forward, there's some free stuff. So stick around and it's going to be fast. 
So first, grab my free kink negotiation and scene starter mini workbook. It is at the link in the show notes. And also in those links, you'll find the URL for our kink-friendly American sex discord server and links to my Gumroad digital shop where you can take some of my on-demand classes or book a coaching session with me. And also, you'll find the link in the show notes to American Sex Patreon page, our sponsors, and a bunch of other stuff too. If you enjoy this podcast and the work I do, please subscribe, like, and help us spread the word. Tell your friends or post your favorite episode on social media. As you probably know, sexuality professionals get suppressed on social media all the time, so any boost helps and is very much appreciated. Well, that is it. It was short and sweet. I told you, these balls are clean. Now, here is Kink Education Freestyle Reddit Edition. All right, American fuckers, are you ready for Kink Freestyle Reddit edition? I know you are. You know, one thing I have to say about Reddit is it gets a lot of shit from people. You know, oh, Reddit, it's a bunch of people talking out of their ass. They don't know what they're talking about, yada, 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 yada. And while sometimes that's true, and sometimes it really depends on the subreddit and the subject that you're talking about, how much, you know, people talking out of their backside you're going to get. I found when it comes to the various BDSM subreddits, which, you know, it's just like BDSM, uh, there's a bunch of different ones, bunch of different ones. And I did hear, I haven't really visited much, and I, I hope I have the name of the subreddit right, but Pink Kink Podcast has an Am I the Asshole BDSM version subreddit. So look that up. I'll I'll find the exact name and the address. I'll put it in the show notes. But I have found that when it comes to subjects about BDSM and kink, there are not only some pretty good questions. And when I say pretty good questions, I, I don't mean like everything's great. A lot of them are like, oh my God, there's this really thing that I think is right that's really wrong. And everyone's like, oh my God, you know. Um, but those questions that I see on Reddit are oftentimes representative of the same types of questions that I see across the community, that I see from students, that I see, you know, out in the wild. And so they're really important because that might be one person asking the question, how they say, you know, there's no stupid questions. If you have a question and you raised your hand to ask it, that means there could be 10 other people that are thinking it that wouldn't have raised their hand. And it's the same thing with Reddit. And there's a lot of really good advice and a lot of like, no, consent. And, you know, what's happening to you isn't great. And I love that for all of us. So, of course, when you're on Reddit, you got to look at some things with a grain of salt. Don't just believe everything you read on the internet. Do your own research. But I would say overall, I dig the vibe on the BDSM subreddits. And one last thing before we get started about my BDSM education freestyle episodes, how they typically work is they're called freestyle because there's not much prepared. I'll have a, a bullet list of subjects and then just kind of off the top of my head, stream of consciousness style, give my thoughts. So this 
Reddit Q&A is very similar to that. I've gone through and skimmed and just picked out like, this looks like a good question. That looks like a good question. But that's really about it. So all of my answers are more the off the cuff, off the top of my head. So I encourage you, you know, as I'm talking, if I'm like, oh, there, there's a really big point that I totally forgot to say, this is not an, a class. It's not an all-inclusive manual, yada, yada, yada. If there is something that you hear that intrigues you, you want to find out more about, et cetera, et cetera, do your own research. What I say here is not the end all be all. Oftentimes it's the beginning. Um, so keep that in mind that these are very much off the top of my head responses to these questions. All right, so let's dive in with our first post. This one is, am I a bad sub for not wanting to be hit or degraded? It reads, I, 20 female, have been exploring the possibility of being a sub, in parentheses, which has taken a lot of trauma therapy to reach a point of being willing to be so vulnerable. But I really can't handle the thought of my boyfriend, 23 male, hitting me or causing me any pain or degrading me. I just want to be a good girl and be told what to do and get praised and get doted on until my head gets all fuzzy and warm. But some people I ask are telling me that I can't call myself a sub if I don't want the whole experience, which is pain, play, degradation, bratting, etc. Are they right? Have I put in all this work for nothing? No, 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 question asker, you have not put in all this work for nothing. And no, they're not right. I have, if listeners, if you go back and listen to a lot of my episodes, whether they're kink freestyle or Q&A, I've talked a lot about why in BDSM, we have these one true way type rules and why a lot of people say, well, if you're going to be a dom, you must act this way. If you're going to be a sub, you must act that way. And if you act that way, that means you can't call yourself a true whatever you want to call yourself. And all of that is a bunch of crap. My catchphrase that I say all the time, I've even got stickers, is kink is customizable. The only rule that we have to abide by is the rule of consent. But even how we go about establishing, maintaining, negotiating, renegotiating, etc., consent is customizable. That is up to us and our partners to agree on how we want to do that based on our needs, our limits, our wishes. So if kink is customizable, that means this concept of a bad sub in the sense that this poster is referring to doesn't really exist as a submissive or dominant or switch or whatever you identify as. You are allowed to figure out what you want and to set your limits, your boundaries, your wishes, your desires accordingly. And to go out and find a partner that you're compatible enough with where you can negotiate both of what you want and co-create something awesome together. You can also, after you've negotiated everything, be like, you know what? A week later, I changed my mind. And that's okay too. 
Now, like I said, there are a lot of myths that exist about BDSM that we read in magazines on the internet that are perpetuated by pop culture and even in our own kink communities that just aren't true. And another one of those is if you're into BDSM, you have to be into pain. Nope, false. BDSM is not about pain. A lot of people into BDSM, aka kink, whatever you want to call it, I'll use those terms interchangeably for this conversation. A lot of people do like pain, but it's not required. It's just one tool that you can choose to use or not use to achieve a certain outcome. So let's deconstruct this a little bit. BDSM stands for bondage and discipline, domination and submission, and sadomasochism. And in order to be considered a BDSM practitioner, it is not required that you are into every letter of that acronym. You can simply, let's say, be into the B, the bondage part, and leave everything else aside And you're still considered somebody who's doing BDSM. I actually have kind of a bone to pick with the definition of BDSM, the acronym definition, because it explains what we are doing, the actions we're doing, but not the why and the humanness behind them. And that why and that humanness are the real reasons that we're doing BDSM and really what's behind it. The techniques that we choose oftentimes are a means to a desired end or outcome. So I you have my own definition of BDSM, and a lot of other people do too, whether they're educators or practitioners. I define BDSM as the consensual exploration of non-traditional adult play that often includes things like intense sensation, role play eroticization and subversion of authority and social hierarchies, fetish or atypical sensory stimuli, shifting consciousness like dom space and subspace. And I have to note that it is also a common misconception that BDSM is about sex. No, sex is one tool that you can choose to use to get all of those juicy things that I put in my definition, but you don't have to. Just like you don't have to use pain. You don't have to use a flogger, a Wurtenberg pinwheel, a bondage rope, or you can choose to use those things. Even though a lot of people do include some sort of sex or eroticism or sensuality in their BDSM, it is absolutely not required. And you can do BDSM without it. Uh, Y'all know, if you're a listener, you know I love me some Midori. Midori is an amazing kink and sexuality educator. And I love her definition of BDSM, which is, it is childlike play with adult sexual privilege and really cool toys. And that's what it is. It's erotic, dirty, outside the box, kind of sometimes weird, but hot improv. Just like when we, I don't know, go to an improv class or play Dungeons and Dragons or whatever it is. It is play. It's also important to keep in mind that BDSM is oftentimes a lot of smoke and mirrors. Just like when we're playing Dungeons and Dragons, there is not an, a real undead creature under that gaming table gnawing off your leg and will continue to do so unless you roll at least a 12 on your 20-sided dice, right? We're pretending. It is a lot of smoke and mirrors. And with BDSM, we're acting it out. If you're a geek, like think 
LARPers, right? Live action role play. So we want to do things that make it feel real. We want the sensations to feel as real as possible, but we're not really going to have an undead guy under the table gnawing off your leg. So that's important to keep in mind in kink in general, because it is a lot of play. It is a lot of smoke and mirrors. It is a lot of doing things that seem really dangerous, oftentimes in ways that aren't actually dangerous. They just kind of feel that way in the moment. But back to kink is customizable. It sounds to me like you may have what a lot of social media has now coined a praise kink. And there is nothing wrong with being into praise. Now, a lot of the one true wayers will be like, oh, come on, a praise cake. That's not a thing. Who doesn't like compliments? Oh, these like young whippersnappers on TikTok making up kinks. But it is. Let, let me explain to you a little bit what a praise kink is. So a praise kink tends to fall on the opposite end of the spectrum from, let's say, erotic humiliation, right? Rather than craving consensual interactions that evoke feelings of embarrassment or shame. The motivation for a praise kink is the desire to be to feel valued and appreciated. So let's think of how this might work in a vanilla context, right? This desire might manifest as a uh, craving recognition in the workplace, let's say. Uh, could be a, an appreciation for performing domestic labor at home or compliments about your appearance, about how thoughtful you are, or how talented you are, etc. But in our day-to-day life, we don't always get that validation. We just kind of have to sit and wait for it. And if it comes, we're like, awesome. But we can't be like, hey, boss, can you just like stop everything and tell me how awesome I am? That's not always socially acceptable. But in kink, this is a consensual, safe container that we've built with our play partners and we've negotiated and we're not only allowed to ask for exactly what we want like we are expected to specify down to the most granular level exactly how we want it delivered and if it's happening and it's not working for us we have the permission to go stop wait wait something's wrong let's let's you know it's not what i meant right so Erotic praise is typically associated with sex or our kink role. And so praise kinks show up a lot in vanilla sex too. And oftentimes we don't even know that's happening. If you've been in a vanilla sexual situation, it's like, you're doing such a good job. Oh, you're so perfect. I can't get enough of you. That feels so good. How are you doing that? Right? And instantly your arousal level like turns up to 11 Oh, that's an indicator that, yeah, you might have a praise kink. And that internal response that we have is what distinguishes a praise kink from run-of-the-mill like enjoyment that most of us get when we're being complimented. This positive reinforcement in intimate context is what triggers this heightened sexual or erotic or maybe it's not pants tingle sexual, but it's like, brain tingles like, ooh, this gets me going in a way that I can't quite explain, but it is good. And it causes the person with the praise kink oftentimes to slip into that blissful headspace, which we sometimes call subspace. 
And praise can come in so many different flavors that are unique to each of us, which is where negotiating and setting down our our boundaries and our desires and limits come in very, very handy, right? It could be body worship. It could be we love being shown off to other people by our dominant. It could be we are into verbal compliments. We're into gestures of affirmation and appreciation. They could be used as gentle encouragement, all sorts of things. And in BDSM, it could even manifest as praise for pain endurance for those who are independent. You can have a praise kink and be into pain. And it could be like, oh my goodness, you took those spankings so well. You are such a badass submissive. Maybe you appreciate being recognized for your service in your submission or being treated like a valuable object or pet by your dominant or simply being called a good boy, good girl, good pet, etc. Now, if you're like, huh, I think I have a praise kink or oh my goodness, I think my partner has a praise kink. I got to look more into this. Keep in mind, especially for those praise givers, if your positive gestures don't seem genuine, they're likely not going to hit your partner's sweet spot. The goal is for the person with the praise kink to feel genuinely down to the little fiber depths of their soul, appreciated, valued, and special. And even the slightest hint of insincerity or like, I'm acting, this is erotic improv, right? That can kill the vibe. So, Reddit poster, you are doing everything right. Embrace your praise kink. Embrace what you love. Embrace your limits and knowing what you don't love. And anyone else who tells you, oh, you're not doing submission right, they can go, you know, praise themselves. (laughs) This next post is from somebody who's new to BDSM, and they're wondering if their situation truly describes what a TPE or total power exchange should entail, or if there's some red flags that are rearing their head. Now, this is a long post, so I'm going to paraphrase some of the stuff leading up to what we're discussing and just read a few excerpts here and there. So the situation is this is a female dominant in her 20s, new to BDSM, meets a male dom online who has another live-in submissive as well. And they talk for three months negotiating, are we going to meet and are we going to have a DS relationship, etc. This dominant did ask this person, even in online communication, to do things that had them acting like the dominant's submissive from the get-go. And the dominant did mention, well, you know, my goal in this is to find another partner, you, who... I can have a 24-7 TPE relationship with, which is a 24-7 power exchange, which means that dominant and submissive dynamic exists all the time, even outside of BDSM scenes, and that that dominant also desires relationships that are considered CNC or consensual non-consent, which means on a scene basis, that could be a scene where One person says, no, no, I don't want to. And then the dominant says, but yes, you must. I'm not listening. But what's behind all of that? And listen back to some of my other kink freestyle episodes where I really get into the ins and outs of CNC is 
you have to have safe words, you have to have consent. Because if a situation in a role play or, a, you know, kink pretend is that your no really means yes, when does your no really mean no? If you say no, they're going to think it means yes. You need to have a safe word or another way to communicate to say, I'm not acting now. This really means stop. You've crossed my limits. And this Dom said, you know, I, I don't do that with my subs. And these are subs that are 24-7 TPE. So that consensual non-consent dynamic is going on all the time, not just in BDSM scenes. And the this person pushed back and it was agreed upon that uh, you know, we'll work up to that. So one excerpt, one, one sticking point in these conversations was I wanted to have safe words and to have limits. The Dom said eventually then he would like me not to have any safe words or limits, but for now, that's okay. They ended up meeting and having a great time with the, you know, the other partner, et cetera. And he said, this is a quote from the passage, he said to have a true CNC relationship, I shouldn't have any safe words or limits the first time we all meet. And then it goes on, you know, skipping down a little after that night, after they met, he kept saying, I had no limits or safe words. And I mentioned to him that that was not my understanding, and that I would like to have safe words and hard limits. And he said, we'll discuss it. The discussion was, quote, I really don't want you to have safe words or limits. And then I asked, can I have safe words and limits until we get to know each other more and trust each other more? And that kept continuing being a sticking point. The person also mentioned, you know, side note, how he talks to his other partner gave me pause too. She is TPE. She seems overall happy, but he'll say stuff like, God, you're so dumb, or get angry at her for just a minute or kind of scream at her, but not angry scream, and then hug her the next minute. And then he asked me to move in with them after Thanksgiving. It feels too soon, but I also like the idea of TPE. So my thought when I first read that was, oh, the alarm bell sounding, red flags, red flags, lots and lots of red flags. And, you know, the thing about red flags is they are subjective, that something maybe could be absolutely 100% legitimate and explainable, and the person that is exhibiting that red flag behavior really is acting in good faith and isn't being abusive and yada, 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 right? Um, red flags, though, when they start to travel in herds, when there starts to be a lot of them, that is more of an indicator like, hmm, maybe this just wasn't a one-off dink. That's this seems kind of weird, but it isn't. And that's what I'm seeing here. And I don't know these people. I don't know this situation. Could it be it's somebody who really doesn't know how BDSM works and has a fundamental misunderstanding of how TPE and CNC should and how consent were maybe. Um, but could it also be an abusive predatory situation? Maybe, and I said that maybe a lot louder. Um, you know, being that these are multiple red flags and these are classic red flags that we tend to see in predatory situations, I would lean towards the latter. But again, that's just a guess. But you know what? At the end of the day, 
if for that person, that situation, it doesn't really matter. Like, oh, does this person know what they're doing? Do they know they're being the asshole? Or do they like, are they just mistaken about what BDSM? It doesn't matter. This does not seem like a great situation. And then that kink for this person is serving as an excuse to explain away controlling and abusive behavior, whether that's intentional or not. Another thing that we need to keep in mind when we are trying to judge those situations for ourselves is to not get lost in the minutiae of, oh, but you know, they seem like a really good person, or they seem really nice, or we hung out a few times and we had a good time. And, you know, maybe that one red flag isn't really a red flag, because they had a really good excuse. But, huh, wait a minute, the red flags keep adding up, right? Those folks who are trying to manipulate us or trying to not let us see the messed up stuff that's going on, we'll lean into those excuses. And we'll lean into that confusion, right? And build on it to make us doubt ourselves. Oh, are we the ones being a harsh critic? Maybe everything is on the up and up. I mean, there are excuses as to why that funny thing isn't actually bad, uh, seem plausible, right? No, it doesn't matter. And the icing on the cake is when it comes to kink and someone who's new, who doesn't know the finger quotes rules of kink, a lot of those things can be passed off as, well, that's just the way kink works. Oh, didn't you know? In a 24-7 TPE relationship, uh, C&C is expected. And, you know, for that dynamic to be real, of course, the submissive doesn't have safe words, because that's the way BDSM works. Note the sarcasm in my voice, that is not the way BDSM works. But that comes up a lot in these situations, because when that person is new to BDSM, and they don't know, they will listen to that more experienced dominant. And even more so if they expect their role as a submissive is to not question the things that they're told to follow, even if their gut is telling them that this doesn't sound right and it doesn't feel good. If something seems wrong, listen to your gut. If you have to ruminate on the question and you have to ask the question, listen to your gut and lean in to your strong boundaries because right now, this is the time that you need them. And just to be clear, when I say lean into your strong boundaries, I mean, lean into them to walk away because there are so many red flags and they are so close to the pattern that is seen in really messed up situations that, yeah, it is not good. I brought up the smoke and mirrors of BDSM when I was talking about the last question. And this comes into play here, especially for things that are considered edge play, which is any kind of play that pushes you to the edge of your comforts, your limits, or what you personally feel is safe. But again, even though kink is customizable, choosing to ignore consent is not part of that customizability. And the phrase consensual non-consent has the word consensual 
in it. And if there are no safe words, that is not consensual non-consent. So that's that's a huge red flag. And that's one that a lot of people who are well-intended don't realize that's what consensual non-consent is because the media and the magazines, you know, articles in Vice, there's even a very popular article in Psychology Today that perpetuates the idea that consensual non-consent is very rough play, usually a scene that mimics an assault where the submissive doesn't have safe words. And that is absolutely not true. And perpetuating that kind of idea is dangerous. Now, rushing into TPE and saying, move in with me, you know, in just a matter of months, weeks, etc. That's another red flag. Uh, and also, the how, how you treat your partner thing. You know, I, again, I'm not there. I don't see the tone of voice and the the, you know, I can't feel the undertones that are happening. There are people that joke that way, like, you're so dumb. No, you're so dumb. Um, but it seems from the writing that that's really not the vibe that's going on. So considering all the other red flags and then that, I would say, yeah, that's a red flag too. Uh, run! Picture this, you're hanging out in your favorite spot, headphones on, and the world around you fades away. When listening to Dipsy Stories, you're immersed in a vivid world where every touch, every breath, every stolen glance is felt with breathtaking intensity. What's Dipsy? It's an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring sexy scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And not only does Dipsy have celebrity narrators, you can now listen to spicy audios by your favorite TikTok creators. They are attentive to your every need, prioritize your pleasure, and have voices that will make you melt. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read, too. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's dipsystories.com slash sunny. Who's hungry? but doesn't have the time to make that delicious healthy meal that your mouth is craving. Uh, me? 
You too, huh? Well, lucky for both of us, Green Chef to the rescue with their convenient step-by-step recipes. I'm talking dinners ready in 25 minutes or less, 10-minute lunches, grab-and-go lunches, and green bundles featuring clean snacks and functional beverages. And I don't just mean any old meals. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating clean. Delicious, nutritionist-approved meals and recipes with no artificial colors, sweeteners, high-fructose corn syrup, and limited-added sugar and limited processed ingredients. Choose from recipes featuring lean proteins like turkey and sockeye salmon, tilapia, scallops, and shrimp, certified organic whole fruits and vegetables, organic cage-free eggs, and plenty of whole grain options too. Plus, cut down on the meal prep with pre-portioned and prepped ingredients, including pre-measured sauces, spices, and dressings delivered right to your door. October is a busy time. The kids are back in school, Halloween, and everybody's gearing up for the holidays. It's the perfect time to take a load off your plate and, well, put some delicious yum-yum on it. And it's about to get even easier with 60% off and free shipping straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60sunny and use the code 60sunny to get 60% off plus free shipping. Again, that's greenchef.com slash 60sunny. NY and use that same code 60sunny to get your 60% off and free shipping from the number one meal kit for eating well, Green Chef. Now this next post is from somebody who wonders, is there such thing as an exploration session when you're new to BDSM? And how the heck does somebody get hands-on, in-person BDSM instruction? So the post says, I am 26-year-old male, a newbie in real-life BDSM, and I'm eager to explore it. But I'm also quite intimidated by what I've seen online from the BDSM scene around me. Having never experienced this kink in my past relationship, I'm not sure I'm ready or comfortable enough with this side of my sexuality to even attend local munches with so many people. But someone mentioned the idea of exploration sessions, where a more experienced kinkster introduces the basics to a beginner. And I was wondering whether it was actually a thing. Is this a thing only kink educators would offer? And how would I go about the search for these exploration sessions? So yeah, it is a thing. But it's not one of those things like, you know, I'm just going to go book a a hair appointment. I'm going to go book an exploration session. There is a lot of vetting to be had because there are some folks that offer this that they're amazing. And other folks that offer it that aren't so amazing. So let me give you the rundown of things that may be available. At a lot of local dungeons, you will find events called kinky tapas or uh, taster classes. So basically, that is when, oh, maybe there's somebody there who has floggers and is talking about flogging. And there's another person there who is talking about spanking and another person there who's talking about electric play and another person there who is doing rope demos. And you can go around the room, you know, almost like a hands-on science fair kind of thing. 
and go talk to the rope person. And maybe they show you how to tie a quick knot or you get a a quick rope harness tied on you so you see what it feels like. Or you get to go to the flogger person and try throwing a few floggers and learning about them and learning about the technique. And maybe you get to feel what does a rubber flogger feel like compared to a deer hide flogger compared to, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just a a little, it's a taster. It's a tapas. So you get to try everything out to see, do I even like this? Or I think I do like this, but I don't even know anyone who owns a flogger. I've never touched a flogger. You get to try all those things. So I would suggest that you can also do one-on-one sessions with professional dominants who are also educators. There are professional submissives as well, although they're a little bit harder to find. You'll tend to find pro-doms more available, and those that do educational sessions will do them with you, whether you are a submissive, whether you are a dominant, or want to learn both sides of the slash. But this is where vetting really comes in. Not all dominants, who may be very good pro-dominants, are good educators. Those are two different skill sets. And vice versa, not all educators may be good hands-on BDSM instructors or may even offer that. So start looking up your local pro dungeons and your local lifestyle dungeons. And especially, you know, with the pro dungeons with both kinds, look up on FetLife, look at their websites, look at you know some of the other social hubs or places that offer classes and see if they are connected to the education scene and they have a presence there. Look up some of the particular doms. Do they also consider themselves to be an educator? Have they taught at different conferences, uh, educational centers, etc. Maybe they have a separate website about their education. I would definitely look into those things or even I know, you know, munches are kind of scary. Even if you start mingling with people in your area only online. And you ask, hey, does anyone have any referrals for uh, somebody who can do this? That might be a way to find somebody. Now, some educators, as I said, they do hands-on coaching too, but not everybody does. Like I don't. I do talk coaching only. And there are things as mentors in the community. We tend to hear talk about mentors more than they actually functionally exist in real life because it has a whole set of challenges and caveats. One, it depends on who you are. For instance, let's say you're a submissive. You are going to be more of an attraction to predatory dominance, and you may get a bunch of dominance going, oh, yeah, sure, I can mentor you, I can mentor you. I I wouldn't do that. Is is that to say there's never been a dominant who mentored a sub that, you know, was doing it in good faith and were good people? No, of course. But odds are it's going to be really hard to find somebody genuine who doesn't have ulterior motives. So I wouldn't suggest doing that. And maybe, and I don't know whether you are a submissive or dominant. I have no idea. Um, You know, let's, let's just say you're dominant, right? 
and uh, you want another dom as a mentor to show you how to do these things. Well, that's somebody doing that out of their own personal goodness of their heart. And that takes time to forge a friendship, to get to know people on that level where they're like, you know what, you're my friend now, or I want to mentor you for whatever reason. It's not like you can sign up for a mentor, like signing up for the Boys and Girls Club and, and getting like a, you know, a big brother or a big sister or something. So even though in theory, those are things, it's kind of hard to find, especially if you're not social in your community. And do some people do mentoring for hire? Sure. But again, it's one of those like, what are their motives for doing that? Who are they? What's their background? Vet them. I absolutely believe, yes, people should be paid for their labor. Um, but that's not really a, a market that you see very much. So I would really question the heck out of somebody offering that service um, before I'd say, hey, I, I would much rather go to a pro dom who is also an educator, who I know is offered this, this service, who has professional references, et cetera. Now, I do want to point something out. I don't know how familiar you are with BDSM. And I, I had mentioned earlier that sex is not inherently a part of BDSM. It is something that you can choose to make a part of BDSM. And when you're looking for somebody to, you know, help you with these experimenting sessions or mentoring sessions, et cetera, you shouldn't really be expecting sex because that's not a part of it, especially with pro-doms. Pro-doms are considered in, to be in the sex work umbrella, but that does not mean they have sex with you. Are there some that do? I'm sure. Are there a lot that don't? Yeah, there's a lot that don't. And that in many states is legal to be a pro-dom who does not offer sexual services. Um, so sometimes it's a personal preference. Sometimes it's a legal preference if pro-doming is allowed in that state or municipality, but sexual services are, are not, which isn't the case everywhere. So that's not something to expect. I want to throw that out there because I don't know who you are, where you're coming from. All right, next question. Hello there, BDSM community. My girlfriend wants me to choke her until she passes out, and it's a dream of hers. Does anyone have any safety advice to make sure she only gets passed out without any other consequences, as it's my first time trying to choke someone, and I'd rather not end her life? Thank you. I got to take a deep, deep breath for this one. And it's nothing to do with the poster. The question is not wrong. I'm taking a deep breath just at the world at large because choke play is really normalized. We see it in vanilla movies and sex scenes. It's in mainstream porn. It is spreading like wildfire teenagers ask about it in, you know, sex ed forums, like, oh, how do I choke my girlfriend? How do I choke my partner? How do I? And it's like, oh, oh, huh. I will state this very clearly. There is no safe way to do choke play. And there's a whole lot of caveats there. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not forbidding you from, I'm not the boss of you. But Know that if this is something that you do choose to engage in, which I strongly urge you to reconsider, and there are alternatives, and I will get there, that you get proper training. That's that's finding 
intensives and courses, not just taking, oh, I'm going to watch a video online, not even taking, I'm going to go to a class that's an hour or two, but I'm talking weekend intensives, follow-up classes, having a mentor, going and getting certified in CPR, having extensive conversations with the submissive you are doing this with and accepting the possibility that even if you do everything textbook, quote, right, there are still unforeseen things and consequences that could happen that could lead to death. And that has happened. You know, there have been people who are like, I am responsible. I've been doing this for years. I am very well trained. I have never had a problem until my partner didn't make it. They didn't wake up. Or now there's a, a, a murder trial. Like this stuff happens. I'm not trying to, you know, be like, oh, scary. But these are real risks. And even though they don't happen often, when they do happen, these are big things. And because choke play has been so normalized and the risks have been so minimized, there are a lot of kinky people who don't even realize how dangerous choke play can be and the training and the risk assessment that goes into it. I very much liken this to a bunch of people engaging in choke play without informed consent, because when consent is informed, that means everybody is well aware of the risks and they are okay with accepting and moving forward with whatever accidental, unintended, fluke, one in a million consequences that could happen. There's quite a few kinky people that will say, well, of course, yes, choking can be very dangerous. But that's only if you are cutting off air, if you're crushing the windpipe. If you do what's called a blood choke, which is what they do in martial arts, that's the safe way to choke. No, no. And, and some posters initially responding to this Reddit post were like, oh, yeah, just do a blood choke. Mm, that may be safer than some of the other ways, but it's still definitely not considered safe. And people have lost their lives. But why are so many people into breath play? It's so much fun. Yeah, it feels good for lots of reasons. And there are ways we can, what I call, nerf breath play and choke play. So we feel some of those benefits without actually going to more dangerous extremes. I talked about the smoke and mirrors of kink, and here they come up again. So first, I urge you to think about what is it about choke play and breath play that you like? If you are on the submissive end, maybe it's the control that somebody has over you, the way they can, you know, just grab you by the neck and, and immobilize you and you feel their power, et cetera. Well, in that case, if that's it, if it's like the, the, the physical commanding of you, there are things you can do. Grab them by the jaw. 
seems like it feels around the neck, but it's not. You're not squeezing any arteries. You're not doing any of that. You grab them by the jaw. You turn their head towards you. It gets that feeling. But let's say you're like, no, I, I like breath play because when I'm not breathing, I'm holding my breath, uh, my partner is is commanding me. They're in control of when I can breathe. That actual physical act of not breathing is like euphoric. And I get it. I get it. So how can we do that more safely? Again, never safe. What about holding our breath? Now, there are some cases, if you have certain medical conditions, even holding your breath can be risky. But out of all of these things, it is the lowest risk. Some of us do it ourselves, like when we're oh, masturbating or whatever. We <gasps> hold that breath, right? Or we do breath work, right? We feel the magic of breath work. So that might be, I'm the dominant and I'm like, right now, I want you to hold your breath while I count down, you know, 10, 9, eight, don't you breathe, don't you breathe, right? That's hot. But you as the submissive, if you really need to breathe, you can just open your mouth. And we've agreed, me as the dominant, I'm not gonna like really punish you because you needed to breathe. We're gonna agree that you're gonna try to hold your breath as long as you can, but if you panic, if you feel it, whatever it is, you can breathe. So holding your own breath and, and doing those commands is fun. And there are all sorts of different creative ways you can do that. You can even do that with the hand on the jaw. Oh, come here, look at me. I'm going to put your face in my face. And I'll be like, hold that breath. Hold that breath. I'm going to count down. 10, 9, 8, right? That can be really hot. So that's one way to do it. There are all sorts of different things. A lot of people they use uh, different masks. Like for instance, my partner and I, we co-top a lot and we have, you know, those horse head masks, like those rubber horse head masks. And they have ones that are like, you could be a pigeon and a, a pig and, and also a squirrel and a rooster and all sorts of stuff. We'll, we'd like to do comical scenes. So we'll do scenes with submissive wearing one of those and maybe they're dancing around and doing things that's causing them to breathe in a little bit more and get winded. And just the, the lightest little restriction of having that mask on, even though you can still breathe, right? But you have something in front of your face, that can create a little bit of that effect that your breathing is affected. And of course, you know, our submissives are where their hands aren't tied if they really needed to like, oh shit, I need to take this off my head right now. Absolutely. Uh, and now we're going to tie this back into one of our other questions about like mentors, et cetera. I recently had a discussion session with somebody in the scene who is very much into gask mask play. And I have very limited experience with the very basic experience with gas masks. And this is somebody who's really super into it. And it's like, you know, we had a connection. It, it was okay to be like, hey, would you talk to me for a little while and like show me your equipment and explain to me how this works and explain to me what your risk profile is and, you know, how, how do you determine for yourself what you feel is safe, what isn't, how do you negotiate this with other people? What types of play do you incorporate this into where you can make it a creative part of your scene or your storyline or your mind fuck, that sort of thing. And there's a lots of stuff. And, you know, the way that they do this is a lot more low risk. There was a lot of like safety stuff built in of you know, always make sure that submissive is able to 
knock off the mask in a moment's time or that, you know, you can see if they're in trouble and do X, Y, Z, yada, yada, yada. That's to say, you know, this isn't a a gas mask class because, again, that's not my thing. I just recently dove more into this. But I'm trying to explain that there are lots of alternatives to feeling that awesome feeling of your breath being controlled that don't involve this extreme choke play, even, quote, blood chokes, as they call them. You'll find it's interesting. I used to I used to do blood chokes. I used to do blood chokes to passing out. I knew the risks. And I was still like, you know what? I I'm going to take that risk. I had partners were like we we played really edgy and most people do not do that. I was younger. Now that I'm older and I am more of a a risk, you know, my arteries are getting more clogged. I don't want uh, you know something to be dislodged in my artery and then Maybe I do a choke scene and I feel fine. And then a week later, I have a stroke. <laughs> like, I don't want that to happen, right? And a lot of the risk factors with these sorts of things are things that we might not know about our health. Maybe you don't know you have a clotting problem until you've had a reason to go to the doctor and get a bunch of tests, or you've already had a stroke, or whatever. And with COVID, clotting is a risk for a lot of people and a lot of young people more than it was. So I'm not telling you not to do this, because you're the boss of you, but I'm telling you that a lot of experienced kinksters, once they get a little bit older, once they really know, educators, et cetera, you'll find them, they'll say, I don't do that kind of play. It's too risky. A lot of kinksters who are medical professionals in their vanilla lives are like, I know exactly how risky that is, and I don't do that kind of play. But there are lots of alternatives that you can do that are a lot safer. So uh, don't do that. Don't do that, Redditor. Or if you do, get a lot, a lot, a lot of training and make sure that whoever you're playing with is just as educated as you are and has informed consent. Hey, everyone. I'm Amy. And I'm April. And we are from the Shameless Sex Podcast. And guess what? We're here to answer the pleasure podcast question of the month, which is... What is your number one tip for spicing up your sex life in a long-term relationship? Ooh, April, I just can't help but think about sex toys. Oh, number one has to be sex toys. Mm-hmm. We love sex toys. We know sex toys. And what do you think? I think, I don't know, if you want to spice things up, try new toys. Maybe once a month, go toy shopping, go to sex shop. Go with your know. partner or yeah. partners. Or just look on a website and look at all the new things. I want to try that. I don't want to try that. Spicy. Maybe you, you want go. vibration. Maybe you want something for the anal play. Ooh, Maybe you bondage. want Ooh, air suction technology. There's so many possibilities, everyone. So that's our number one tip from the Pleasure Podcast Network from Shameless Sex. And you can find our lovely podcast on all of the podcast apps out there. Just look up Shameless Sex Podcast. We will be there for you. That's right. And we've got one last Reddit post about humiliation. And this one has a little bit of a mm, trauma content warning. Um, So if that's something that is in your past or may unearth some feels that you don't want to feel right now, you can always skip this section and come back or fast forward a few minutes or just, you know, get your bearings and be prepared for what you're about to hear next. So this post says, when I turned 20, 
28 now, I found out about BDSM and I started exploring my kinks. I realized I'm into getting humiliated. So I started doing exactly that, humiliating myself online and begging for male attention. Even to this day, I'm so addicted to this kind of attention. I can't stop. Almost every day, I post something humiliating online, and the adrenaline rush is huge. I'm glued to my phone, watching the likes going up and up and up, and receiving all of those disgusting messages. I even make money from it now. I'm so ashamed. I'm so disgusted and so embarrassed, but I still do it. Today, it all hit me so hard, and I can't stop sobbing. I am so ashamed, so, so ashamed that I have this addiction. Deep down, I know the reason why I'm so addicted to attention. I never had it growing up, and the only thing I knew was neglect and abuse. The worst is that I do it even if I'm in a loving relationship. A very, very healthy BDSM dynamic that has helped me a lot in my healing process. Am I completely broken? Does anyone else relate? How do I stop the cravings to abuse myself like that? Please, if you can give me a few words of wisdom, do so. I really need it. Oh, poster, my heart goes out to you. And no, you are not broken. And you are not alone. Now, first of all, I want to stress that there is nothing wrong with humiliation in a consensual kink context. And what really counts in determining is this healthy, is this not healthy, is the person's individual experience. Like you get to determine what is or is not healthy for you. And what counts in that determination is Are you going about playing with humiliation in a consensual sense, intentionally, in a way where you are not using it as self-harm, in a way that's uh, not in a way that's maladaptive, etc.? Now, if you are using it in ways that are maladaptive, are damaging, are negative, then, yeah, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I would say for you, this is beyond my scope as a sexologist, even as a coach, if this were a private coaching session, find yourself a kink knowledgeable therapist. And there is a list called the KAP, the Kink Aware Professionals List that has a lot of kink knowledgeable therapists on it. You can even, you know, do some searching on social media, whether that is Instagram, TikTok, etc. There are quite a handful of therapists who are very well versed in kink that also make content that you can check out, reach out to if you're in the same state, or see if they have resources for people that they would recommend in other states or where you live. Also, be aware that there are a lot of therapists that'll say, well, I'm kink aware, I'm kink friendly, I'm kink, you know, and they really don't have that depth of knowledge when it comes to things like this. And they're, they may have biases and not give the best advice or make you think that your desires are wrong or, or whatever it is. 
So this is why I recommend doing a little bit of research, looking at that kink aware professionals list, seeing what other people who have professional proficiency in this area are recommending. So you do hook up with someone that is good for you, that can help you. Now, I'm going to give a few general thoughts um, and nuggets of knowledge or things to be aware of that might help you or somebody in a similar situation kind of get a little bit a footing as they are finding a therapist, etc. One of the things I've said is that kink can serve, can serve, isn't always, as a healthy, intentional outlet for the toxic relationships and situations that we subconsciously romanticize. And we subconsciously romanticize things that really aren't healthy for us for lots of different reasons. And that is therapy territory. And, you know, that's something that the poster has brought up. They think they know where that stems from. And just as a general caveat to listeners, you know, a lot of people who judge BDSM and kink say, well, you know, kinksters are, you know, they got problems. They're, they're it's all, the kinks are playing out their trauma and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, sometimes, sure. Sometimes not at all. Just like some of us act out in all sorts of different ways and different scenarios in a way that stems back to our trauma. Like if someone cuts in front of me in the grocery store and I know in my head, I'm like, dude, what the fuck? You cut in front of me. And I want to say that in my head, but I go to open my mouth and I can't. Maybe I can't open my mouth because, you know, I've been shut down when I've been told no, or, you know, all of these these things that have to do with my attachment injuries and my past, blah, 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 blah. Is anyone criticizing me because my my trauma is suddenly rearing its head in the grocery store line? No. So yeah, as humans, our trauma pops out in all sorts of different places. Sometimes it's kink, sometimes it isn't, but that doesn't make kink bad, just like it doesn't make being in line at the grocery store bad. So that intention of knowing that we do this, and that knowledge of knowing the difference between fantasy and reality, which sounds simple, but can get really hinky when it comes to kink. Because some of us, we're in 24-7 relationships, or our kink identity, we're like, no, this isn't like a, a character I'm playing. This is me. This feels real. But in other respects, we are living out a fantasy. We are playing in this safe container that we've built. And it isn't real, even though it is kind of real at the same time. So I will tell folks, you know, uh, there are two selves that we have when we're in kink. There is our play self, the one that like our kink identity. And then there is our autonomous selves. Like it's us outside of the bedroom, the dungeon, that identity. And that is the self, let's say when we're negotiating kink scenes, right? We're not negotiating like, I'm going to negotiate as a dom and be like, shut up, you can't have boundaries, because that's not negotiation, right? That's for the scene, right? Because then you have a safe word, and you can be like, no, safe word, I really want to have boundaries for real. This isn't consensual, non-consent, it's for real, right? So, our autonomous selves are always watching out for our best interest. They are not playing that role of submissive, of dominant, et cetera. And then our play self is. And when we're negotiating, we're our autonomous selves. And when we need to call our safe words, that's when our autonomous self comes in. We need to watch out for our well-being in the back of our heads. 
That's our autonomous self, right? And when we are in a kink situation, we put that play self forward. We are the submissive. We are the the degradee, uh, whatever. We're the sadist. We're the masochist, et cetera. We can have fun doing that. But that autonomous part of ourselves is always like in that backseat, watching our play selves drive, reenacting some stuff that looks real toxic. But the autonomous self remembers, ah, but you got safe words, but you have tools to protect yourself. And that autonomous self's job is to protect you. So when it sees something fucked up, it can say, okay, play self, give me the wheel. I'm going to take over. Hey, safe word. Hey, I'm going to a really bad place in my head right now. Like I'm getting emotionally triggered. I am doing something that is slipping into being maladaptive and, uh, you know, self-harm. So I'm going to take the wheel. So that knowledge to know that even though when we are being our kink cells or indulging in that kink, there still are those two dimensions of us. Another thing I want to point out is recognizing the role of consent in BDSM and kink and this humiliation play. Consent is the cornerstone of everything we do. And if consent is not at the center of what we do, what we're doing isn't BDSM, it isn't kink, it's abusive, it's manipulative, it's all sorts of things. So I would encourage you, Poster, to, and I, I don't know the circumstances in which you are acting out online, if it's like on mainstream social media, maybe you're posting things like making people think what you're saying is actually real and egging them on or manipulating them into engaging with you in the way that you want. I, I would encourage you to think about the consent behind that. Uh, if it's on a, let's say it's on a kink website where, you know, that kind of play talk is more acceptable, then, you know, there are varying degrees of of consent and and in that situation. Same with doing it online and getting paid, right? There are definitely professional submissives. And that could be a way to satisfy that part of you without doing it in a maladaptive way. It doesn't really sound like that's happening right now, though. And maybe for some people, maybe for you or whoever's listening, that may not ever be a way for them. And other people, they they might be like, you know, done with intention and a whole lot of therapy and a whole lot of insight and being able to compartmentalize these things in my life and being able to recognize when it does slip into like, okay, this is this is getting toxic. Like I'm going to a bad place right now. That might be for some people a good balance. Like I can indulge in that in a way where I can like satisfy that part of myself. I can do it with intention. I can make a couple bucks, you know. Um, but also mm, just, you know, that has its own set of risks too. If you are engaging in this in a professional sense, you know, and it is a kink uh, website or phone sex or texting site, whatever it is, right? And that consent is there in terms of we've all entered into this website or into this one-on-one conversation with the understanding that we're doing some kind of kink. But really, in those types of situations, that's where the 
feeling of safety or security because you have entered into that exchange with consent really can trip you up because consent in a relationship that's transactional like that with strangers isn't as solid, isn't as ongoing, and isn't as safe as it might be when we are in an exchange with someone who we're in a relationship with that we know that's a play partner, that's a romantic partner, or that has some other kind of skin in the game with us. A lot of people that are just, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay to to dom somebody. You don't know them. You don't know their intentions. You don't know if they have your best interests at heart. You don't know if they start to recognize like, ooh, this is actually getting for real fucked up. Will they stop? So eh, I encourage you to think about that too. I don't have answers for you. You know, I'm I'm not a therapist. There's just a few things that I would encourage you or anyone listening along that's like, I kind of resonate with this scenario to think about and to be aware of and to take those things to their therapy sessions as they're building more awareness and intention behind what they're doing and deciding if they can indulge in this somehow in a safe container in a way that would be positive for them mentally, that would be a positive cathartic outlet? Or is it something that they personally will have a hard time making healthy and compartmentalizing in that way and needs to steer clear of for a while or a little bit or a long while. I don't know your situation. So uh, it's a lot. It's a lot, but you're you're not alone. A lot of us do bring in these toxic ideas and our dysfunction and a lot of stuff that isn't healthy for us into kink because we're just trying to cope. We don't all have therapists. We don't all know exactly what's going on in our psyches and why and from what. And even if we do, sometimes doing the thing that's not good for us just is so tempting and it feels so good in the short term. So find yourself a kink knowledgeable therapist and I wish you luck, but know that when it comes to humiliation play, there are lots of very healthy ways that it can be done, that it can manifest anyone interested in like, okay, I like humiliation play, but I don't know how I've got a on-demand class that is hot and healthy erotic humiliation. You can go ahead and check that out. And that's it. That is it for our kink education freestyle Reddit Q&A. Uh, let me know your thoughts. Hit me, hit me up on social media. Do you have thoughts about some of what we've heard. I picked randomly this selection of questions because I really do feel that these things are representative of what a lot of people go through, a lot of roadblocks and hurdles that pop up when they are experimenting with kink 
And uh, I think it'll do a lot of listeners, aka American fuckers, some good. So until next time, I'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. You know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American fucker stickers and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late stage capitalist hellscape, well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, Kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount and it helps us too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.